Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? We're delusional. Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yes! Yes! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go in the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, yeah. I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Apologia Radio. You guys can get us at ApologiaStudios.com. Coming at you guys live from Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, uh, we are doing something special today. Uh, not only are we getting ready for the Mormon uh, Temple Christmas Lights, our annual outreach, which uh, we'll be sharing that content with you guys. Keep your eyes out for that at Apologia Studios on Facebook and on YouTube. We're going to, um, of course record the conversations we get into. We're going to live stream outside the temple and uh, share that all, share that with, with you all. Uh, here with Luke the Bear. <laughs> you all right? I'm, I'm good, yeah. Enjoy the girl. Hello. And uh, so just going to give you a quick introduction here, guys. Uh, first and foremost, thank you guys to all of you guys who partner with us and support us in all of our ministries. Uh, you make everything we do possible, and so we are truly True. grateful. And uh, in particular, going out Tonight and uh, filming the content only takes place because you you do this with us, so yep. thank you. Um, but I want to point you guys uh, to Apologia Studios on YouTube um, and uh, tell you just about some things we just dropped there. We have the Kauai documentary, our final doc- final document documentary about our church plant is up there. You guys can watch that and uh, pray for us and participate with us in that ministry. We're planning a church in uh, in Kauai. Mm-hmm. Our team is going out in just a couple of weeks, and our first worship se- uh, service is scheduled for January 21st, 2018, uh, so praise God for that. Uh, the official total right now for churches that have now signed up uh, to join with us in the work uh, to end abortion is uh, 274 yep. local churches across the country. Uh, hundreds of babies have been saved this last year, and uh, we're grateful, we're humbled. Um, God has done so much, so we're going to be playing a lot of the content uh, just sort of as a recap as as to what God has done this last year in the ministry. So thank you uh, for all that you've done, and uh, thank you guys for, uh, for over the next couple of weeks watching that content and sharing it uh, just to bless people. Um, now, here's what's up. So today's what well, we're doing something special. We're going to take the audio uh, from the TV show and after show that we just did with Stephen Bankars from Reasons for Jesus. Uh, we're going to just take that and slip that into this ep- episode because... I thought that the content is uh, current and super relevant and important theological content. So we didn't want to just have that for the TV show. We're actually going to do it for the radio show. What's up? You thinking about your clamping your hands again? No, I'm not thinking. Well, now I am. Everybody clamp your hands. (laughs) I was just 
reading something funny that's happening on the internet. What's happening on the internet? Go ahead. Um, so there's a cat named Max, and um, Max likes to go into McAllister College Library in St. Paul, uh-huh. Minnesota. Um, and there's this huge campaign happening all over the internet to let Max into the library because the library posted a sign that says, please do not let in the cat. His name is Max. Max is nice. His owner does not want Max in the library. We do not want Max in the library. Max wants to be in the library. Please do not let Max into the library. (laughs) So people are like drawing up library cards and stuff for Max. Oh, nice. But I think the point that we should all take away from this is that Cats will do whatever they want. That's right. They do. They're <laughs> evil creatures. That is true. They're uh, not. No. Yes, they are. That was not. Cats you are, don't get yes. to tack that yes. on no, to the end. That's how I interpret that stories. Cats are evil. <laughs> Period. Cats um, go where they want. They do what they want. Yes. They're like honey badgers. They with, are like honey badgers. Well, all honey badgers have fur. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> They're like honey badgers with fur. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome if there was like a honey badger that was just naked? Yes. It's a hairless there badger. There are cats that are naked, yeah, too. Yeah, there's a hairless badger? That would be worse, because honey badgers are scary creatures. There they came running at you naked? In my personal opinion, there should be a naked version of every animal. That'd be awesome. Because they're incredibly cute. They, yeah, with it, no fur. With no fur. It's true. That's true. So I um, don't think there should be a haired version of naked of animals? Of other things. Like, like elephants? Like, I, don't like, wanna, a, like I, do, I do not want to see a hairy fish. Coming at me. Oh, that'd be crazy. <laughs> that would be scary. What's another naked animal? Hairy snakes. An elephant. Hairy yeah, snakes. Snake, yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? Hairy snakes would be scary. <laughs> that'd be so weird. <laughs> Look like Snuffleupagus. Yeah. No, I'm totally fine with certain animals being hairy, but yeah, I'm not going to make that statement. How that about blanket a blanket statement? How about a hairless parrot? Totally creepy. They are normally hairless. Well, well they you know. are, yeah, okay, technically sorry. they're feathered. I meant featherless, sorry, featherless, yeah, featherless naked. parrot. Yeah, naked, naked, naked parrot. Naked parrot. Naked parrots. All right, oh, so with that. It would be so cold. It would be. But they usually live in tropical climates, so it'd be pretty good. I think they use their their feathers to regulate body temperature, though. It's possible. The toucan uses its beak to regulate its body temperature, just yeah. like the elephant uses its Well, trunk. just think also about chickens. If you took all the feathers off chickens, right. you know what that looks like because you right. buy it in the store. Mm-hmm. But imagine that like running around. Running at yeah. you. That'd be crazy. So Did free- you know that the reason why chickens live with their head cut off is because that their brain is positioned at an angle in their body. So like it like tilts down slightly. And so when you chop the head off, a portion of the brain is left. Is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely that true. That's the truth? I don't, I'm look it up. I don't joke about animal facts. I don't play about animal facts. <laughs> All right, so with that, let's introduce you Sorry. guys. Uh, what about snakes, though? You can do the same thing to a snake. And we're never getting to the show. Except for that's di- it, it's different with certain animals because certain animals have a different neuron structure. Like like octopus, for example, their neurons aren't only in their brain. Um, most of the neurons that exist are in their their legs, which is why you could chop off an octopus leg and it would continue to move because there's existing neurons in there. You know that a, a 200 kilogram octopus can squeeze through a space the size of a quarter? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is generally accepted that wow. octopi are not good in captivity because they will find a way to no longer be in captivity. Right. So Finding Dory got it right. Yeah. 
Oh. Yeah, they'll get out. For any of you that were like, that movie's not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with that, we did a show with um, uh, Stephen Bancar's Reasons for Jesus about a well-known heretic named Marcus Rogers. Again, we don't use that uh we don't use that title loosely. We're not just trying to be abusive and mean-spirited or cavalier. I say that in the TV show. However, it's the truth. He's a person who's a modalist. He denies the Trinity. He fights against it. And so um, he is marked out as a false teacher. Well, you uh, can make that claim yeah. if you can substantiate that yes, claim. Yes, yes. Not just trying to be nasty to the man. I, I, I hate uh, the Christian versions of TMZ and quote-unquote yes. discernment ministries who are just abusive to other Christians just for the sake of being abusive and, and uh, controversial. And, right. well, and they point out things they don't like, but they they don't make it a point to substantiate right. why that would make the person a heretic or right. why that would make the person in sin. Well, and also in terms of like one thing we don't want to do on this show is begin to take our personal preferences in whatever area and then bind that to your conscience. Right. By saying, here's this person that uh, looks different than, the, different than us, dresses different, whatever, has different tastes in music or whatever it might be and say that that should now be bound around your conscience, or, or saying, I don't like the way this person dresses, and so therefore they're a heretic. Nothing like that. Marcus Rogers... Well, because you would is, have to be able to, for example, with that, you'd have to be able to substantiate why the way a person dresses makes them not a part of the body. Dangerous or heretical. Like, is right. that, like, you can't... Because right. those things aren't even the same. That's right. not even what we're talking about. Right. We're not talking about insignificant things. We're talking about... Right. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the nature of God and right. uh, the gospel. And uh, Rogers has a false God and a false gospel. And so we have Stephen Bancars on to talk about that. Encourage you guys to share this episode because it's important content. And again, thank you guys for participating with us and all that we do. God bless you guys. We love you. And so we're going to go ahead and introduce you to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Apologia TV. I'm Jeff. They call me the Ninja. That's Luke the Bear. What up? That's Joy the Girl. Hello. We are in Apologia Studios. Come at you guys from Phoenix, Arizona. You guys can get more at ApologiaStudios.com. You can go there, sign up for all access. You get the TV show, the after show, and you also get Apologia Academy. And you make everything we do possible, including what we're actually going out to do tonight, which is go out to the Mormon Temple in Mesa, Arizona, uh, to create uh, relationships, to communicate the gospel, engage some evangelism. We're going to be uh, posting that stuff up for you guys at Apologia Studios and on Apologia Studios on Facebook. So if you love to watch uh, interaction with Latter-day Saints and uh, see the gospel proclaimed to them, then uh, you'll love to watch that stuff. And uh, for all of you guys that are watching this right now uh, via All Access, you make all of that possible. So again, as always, thank you guys so very much. So important show today. We're going to get right into it today. Uh, there is a man named Marcus Rogers. A lot of controversy surrounding this fellow. Uh, he uh, was in the army before and used to post a lot of videos, uh, theological videos, and so started kind of gaining a following. Uh, some, some interesting things have happened over the last couple of years uh, with Marcus Rogers, uh, his marriage, and, and, and his. I don't think he's in the army anymore. Mm. Um, but uh, he posted a video uh, some time ago uh, attacking the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, we did a show in response to that. Uh, we never got actual communication with Marcus Rogers because of it. Dr. White also did, I think, mm -hmm. a response. I think we actually did two shows on it. We did. We Okay, we did. Um, Dr. White also did a show in response to Marcus Rogers. Uh, Marcus Rogers, um, for all of his zeal, for all of his passion, Marcus Rogers is a dangerous, dangerous heretic. Uh, now, we, by the way, I just want to say this. This is not Christian TMZ. This is not a discernment ministry that loves to lop off heads of other believers for non-essential issues. 
Um, this this isn't this isn't slander and keyboard, um, otherwise known as well. We'll leave it at that. Um, won't give any advertising. Uh, so it's important. I'm gonna, so when I say this, when I say that Marcus Rogers is a dangerous heretic, know this, that we're not using that just loose. Mm-hmm. We're not just being flippant and cavalier with our lips. We're not just attacking a Christian for a non-essential issue. Uh, we think that kind of behavior is abhorrent, yep. and uh, we don't want to engage in it. Um, but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of the essentials of the faith and what matters most, uh, something my son Sage said to me in the car, I believe it was yesterday. My son teaches a class on the history of Christianity, Christendom, homeschooling program. He's, uh, he loves history. He's a, he's a beast when it comes to history, Christian history. Uh, we were, yeah, it was actually, we were driving, and uh, we were talking about this issue of modalism, and in history, the Christians refuting modalism. Um, he said, the issue is it's just like Islam. You know, my son caught this. He said, it's a different God. So, you know, just because you're using Christian terminology, it's the same thing as Islam. You're creating a false god, Mm. and therefore no one can be saved by worshiping a false god. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. When we say a guy like Marcus Rogers is a dangerous, spiritually dangerous heretic, because he is, um, again, not loosely saying that, but we're saying it because we're denying the essentials of the faith. When you see the Bible uh, using very strong language, serrated edges against anybody, it's always in context, depending upon the stakes, right? So for example, in, and we're going to introduce a guest here in a second, but just to point you to it, why is it so important? In, um, in Jude, uh, you can read uh, Jude and you can see this teeny tiny little letter in the New Testament talking about false teachers. Uh, you just got to hear it. Um, uh, now I want to, verse five, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their pr- proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment of the, until the day of judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire served as an example of undergoing a punishment of fire. Uh, and then as he moves through, verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. You see, he's, he's like losing his breath here, right? Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So here's how the Bible talks about false teachers within the context of the body of Christ, um, deceiving people, leading people astray. And you can see clearly, one more text here, Second John uh, verse 9, powerful, uh, again, tiny little letter. I mean, it's so small, it's barely there on the page. Um, see? <laughs> Second John, that's it, that's Second John. That's inspired revelation from God. This is this little short letter here. In uh, Second John, still more than a tweet. That's for still more than sweet. Definitely more than 130 <laughs> characters or whatever. Um, so in this little letter, the Apostle John writes this short thing, and he's warning about deceivers. Verse seven: Have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
Why is that significant? Because it's the beginning of uh, the, the early beginnings of Gnosticism. Mm. The Gnostics deny that God took on actual flesh and walked among us. They denied the incarnation in that respect. He says, such, is one, it, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a reward. Here it is. Here it is. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked deeds. Uh, it's not, by the way, just got to say it quickly because it's so important. Uh, nothing to do with letting an unbeliever into your home. That would wreck Christmas. That would wreck Thanksgiving. It would wreck uh, your opportunity to have a plumber and come fix something. Uh, it's not the New Testament model of evangelism. The early Christians met in house churches. The idea here is these Gnostic heretics who were denying that God took on flesh, don't let them into your house. What is that? Into your fellowship, mm -hmm. to disrupt the fellowship, to get a footing. Don't greet them. Don't treat them like a brother because they're not. Now, so you can tell that from our perspective, when it comes to the essentials of the faith, like who is Jesus? How is one justified before God? you can see that we take a very hard stance. That is the place that you put the dividing line. That's where the apostles put it. That's where I want to put it. And with that, we're going to talk more about Marcus Rogers, but we're going to do so by way of introducing our guest for today. We've had him on before, a very, very powerful episode, and uh, it was a blessing to have him. Stephen Bancars, uh, he uh, has a ministry, Reasons for Jesus, and uh, he's joining us right now on the show. Welcome back, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. You seem really chill today. You good? Yeah, I'm always I'm always pretty chill. You seem yeah, you seem pretty. He's chill. at home. Yeah, He's nervous. That's right. That's right. Well, welcome back to the show, brother. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so we're glad to have you on. So let's introduce everybody to what took place this last week. Um, we're running out of time here, so let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll introduce you what happened. So stay with us, guys. This is the Chocolate Knox. If you love that wonderful sensation of chewing glass. This is the show for you. Cross Politic is a weekly show and podcast that mixes the taboo formula of faith, culture, and politics, proclaiming the Lordship of Christ in every corner of our culture. Hallelujah. Gabriel Wrench is a deacon from Texas, and he wears overalls. One time. <laughs> Chocolate Knox, a.k.a. David Shannon. He's a movie maker from Minnesota. Action! I'm Toby Sumter, pastor here in Moscow, Idaho, and I used to live in Alaska. Did you know that? No. no. We've interviewed everyone from Alveda King to Ted Cruz to Steve Dace to Walter Williams, and we invite you to join us here at Cross Politic as we learn to fight, laugh, and feast all to the glory of God. CrossPolitik.com. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house. Not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world. Not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college, to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu forward slash explore. Welcome back, everybody, to Apologia TV. We're on today talking about a very important subject. We're going to talk about the Trinity today. And yes, it is vitally important to, um, to apprehend what the Bible says about the triune God, because this is the God who has disclosed himself in history, in his Son, in his Word, 
And so it's important for us to say that uh, not that we comprehend um, the, this amazing, uh, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing God, but that we apprehend what the Bible says about him and that we, when we tell people about God, we're telling people about the biblical God. So we're on today talking about Marcus Rogers, a well-known uh, heretic, a person who um, is just uh, reintroducing very old heresy mm-hmm. that's been refuted by the Christian church uh, for ages now. Uh, and uh, we're on with a guest, Stephen Bancars. Uh, he has a ministry called Reason for Je- Reasons for Jesus. Uh, Stephen, welcome back. Um, so let's talk just a minute about the context here. Again, uh, a little ways back, Marcus Rogers published a video uh, where he was attacking the, the Trinity, uh, the biblical and historic doctrine of the Trinity. And uh, we responded to that. Dr. White responded to that as well. Uh, just this week, uh, Rogers posted another video and um, I was tagged in it, and so was Dr. White, uh, James White. And so I was going to just do a response on our own, but then I saw that our friend Stephen had done his own little mm-hmm. response, and he invited Marcus Rogers to do an online debate. Right. So, uh, Stephen, get us into that conversation. What's that look like right now? Uh, what's, what does the relationship between Marcus and I look like? Yes. The, the... Yeah, we, uh, I challenged him um, in the video. I... I... I said, you know, you need to give an account for yourself. You know, you've said enough garbage about the Trinity and Trinitarians. And, you know, don't be a coward. Don't back away. And um, he hit me up in Messenger. And uh, at first he was like, um, you know, we don't need to go into all the doctrine and the arguments for and against the Trinity because wiser men than us, wiser men than us have already done this, like um, Cook and Bernard and everything. He's like, um, I'm not really interested in discussing the Trinity I just want to know where it says that I have to believe the Trinity in order to be saved. And I was pressing him saying, no, like that's not adequate enough. Um, you need to give an account for yourself because you're saying that anyone who's a Trinitarian does not have the same revelation as you do of God and of scripture. And he always says that he always ends off his videos. Um, he kind of relaxes back into his, his anointing or his gifting or his um, special knowledge he has from God apart from Scripture. Right. And says Trinitarians don't have this same kind of revelation that I do. It takes revelation from God. Yes. I told him in a message, I'm like, dude, that's the epitome of, it, of arrogance. It's the epitome of arrogance. You put yourself on the throne of theological wisdom, and you're looking, at, you're looking down at orthodoxy, and you're saying, you don't have the same revelation of God that I do. Mm-hmm. Some kind of special post-canonical revelation of God. And I said, you need to give an account for that. Mm. And... Um, uh, like God bless him. I like I love the guy. He sounded really weak. Um, right. I don't well, think he knows his position. And he he finally said, "Yeah, okay, fine, let's do this." He said he prayed and God told him to do it. So maybe the Holy Spirit's oh. going to lead him to grant him repentance or something. Hmm. But he's going to be on my channel um, next Thursday for a live debate and discussion. Tell, on, on tell the everyone committee. in case they're watching this in the future and uh, they just haven't got, gotten this in time. Uh, tell everyone the name of your channel on YouTube so they know where to go to pick it up. Oh, it's just under my name, Stephen Bancars, uh, S-T-E-V-E-N-B-A-N-C-A-R-Z. Okay, excellent. So um, yeah. let's let's dive into that because I'm glad you, you I'm glad that you caught that, Stephen, because that's an epistemological um, matter of of great importance, right? When you talk about someone that says, uh, you know, this is revelation that I received from God, and so that personal revelation, mm-hmm. how do you know? Well, I know because I, Marcus Rogers, received this. Um, 
message from the Holy Spirit of God. So that's an epistemological standpoint. He's making an epistemological claim. How do you know? It's not based on the scriptures. It's based upon the Holy Spirit's revealing this special knowledge to me. So there is really, at that point, nothing that separates Marcus Rogers from any other false prophet or cultist in history, say Joseph Smith. Or postmodernists. Yeah, or postmodernists. Yeah, it, it's an epistemological starting point. How do you know what you know? How do you know that your claim is true? How do you justify right. it? Well, I received a private revelation. Well, guess what? So did Joseph Smith. Yes, he did. And uh, so, does so did Charles Taze Russell, Mary Baker Eady, um, uh, David Koresh. I mean, you can go Muhammad. to Muhammad. You go to Atlanta. It's all private revelation that supersedes the Bible. So you can't have two ultimates running alongside one another. The Bible is the ultimate, and then this private revelation is the ultimate because your private revelation will eat up mm. the biblical revelation, which is what it's doing with Marcus Rogers. Um, also, I, this would be a good thing to talk about, Stephen. Tell me what you think about this. I, I've heard him say that when he says, uh, show me in the Bible where it says I have to believe in the Trinity to, to be saved. Well, it's interesting because I don't think he really believes that standard that he's placed um, up for, for, for question. So here's my, here's my point. I think that if Marcus Rogers talked to, say, a, um, a Mormon who had this really crazy uh, view of Jesus, who is Lucifer's brother, uh, the son of Elohim and one of his goddess wives, there's many gods and you can become a god one day. I, I don't think that Marcus Rogers would at that point say that what we say about Jesus doesn't really matter, mm. right? Like, show me in the Bible where it says I have to believe in the biblical Jesus. Mm. Right? I mean, what if a Mormon turns around and uses Roger's um, skepticism at that point against him? And he says, well, show me in the Bible where it says I have to believe in the biblical uh, Jesus that you say. The point is, is that we have scripture that points us to the fact that if you do not speak consistently with the word of God, you don't know God. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 4 even if somebody has signs and wonders, but they lead you after a different God other than God has revealed himself, that's how you know they're a false prophet. Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, is because they have no light in them. The biblical standard is through and through, from Genesis to Revelation, the word of God's the supreme standard. And if anybody denies the biblical revelation about God, you don't know God. Right. So, Stephen, talk to that. Um, for me, what really... <laughs> See, what he's looking for is one verse where it says, you know, you have to believe this, this, and this about God in order to be saved. And the point I was trying to make was, well, exactly what you made, that there's a standard in Scripture for believing in correct doctrine, and we're commanded as Christians to have nothing to do with those who differ on essential core doctrines regarding salvation, God's nature, etc., which means, obviously, if God's telling us to have nothing to do with them, it's because they're not in the body. Mm. God's not going to have tell us to have nothing to do with his own bride. So if you're in error to that degree, we're told to have nothing to do with you, which means by default you're outside of the body. Um, the other issue for me was um, just in terms of you would have to adopt a very strange understanding of regeneration and of sanctification um, to believe that you can walk with God for one decade, two decades, three decades, and still be in grave theological error to that extent where you deny, so he, modalism denies, it denies an eternal son. Right. When they say, mm -hmm. when they say Jesus is the son of God, they're referring to his humanity. Right. Um, so we have to throw out the verse, I believe it's in Psalm 40 that talks about um, Yahweh having a son in heaven. Um, it's just, it's not the God of the Bible. Right. Uh, the God of the Bible is not a shape-shifting 
Jesus. That's mm. not my Jesus. He doesn't wear a mask one day right. as the Father, take it off to play a role, and then go over here and, and be the Holy Spirit. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. You have an eternal Father, eternal Son, eternal Spirit, um, co-eternal, co-powerful, um, sharing one nature, essence, and substance, though um, taking on different roles, different functions within the redemptive plan of humanity. Right. Um, this is cover to cover what the Bible teaches. And, I mean, as it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, um, Paul warns against those who bring a different Jesus yep. and says that those who do so are false apostles. Yep. Um, and this is a different Jesus. It's a Jesus who's a shapeshifter, who is the author of confusion, um, and uh, who is extremely... Uh, unclear about his revelation to to humanity yeah. and that's not the god that we serve that's not the god of the bible right? yeah it, it comes it comes down to something that most christians i think have memorized and we'll, we'll complete this segment and go into a commercial break and be right back to actually play some of marcus rogers when when rogers suggests that it's no big deal well let's look at john chapter one and let's look at the revelation of god there and this is central in arche in halagos mm -hmm. in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then it says, um, and God was the word, right? So that text there, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That text says that as far back as you want to go with no stopping point, forever ago, the word was mm -hmm. already there. And then this is the distinctive right here. It says, and the word, Jesus, was prostantheon, toward God, face to face with the Father, he was God. Be right back, guys. ApologiaStudios.com. Welcome back, everybody. Apologia TV right here at ApologiaStudios.com. Again, thank you to everybody who is all access and partners with us to make everything we do possible. What you are doing is making a difference. We have received over the last two or three months uh, just a bunch of emails from people who used to be Latter-day Saints that have now come mm -hmm. to Christ through watching the content that you have helped create. Um, atheists, um, People coming out of addiction, amazing video of a woman who came out of addiction to Christ through uh, watching the content that we put up. Um, I mean, it was humbling because I don't like to talk a lot about myself, but it was my testimony video that, that ended up leading her out of addiction to Christ. And, and that video itself was funded by you, All Access mm -hmm. Partners. So thank you guys very, very much. So here we go. Um, talking about Marcus Rogers, um, I ended the last segment talking about how important this question is, and Stephen did an excellent job pulling that text from 2 Corinthians 11, where the Apostle Paul warns uh, the church, the early church, um, that against another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Now, that's very shortly after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Paul is already warning about mm. false versions of Christ that cannot save, uh, that you're deceived by the craftiness of Satan, like how he was deceiving Eve in the garden. He's worried and so it is possible to have a false Jesus. Now, what is the Jesus given to us in Scripture? Well, that text in John 1 ought to be an anchor point for all of us. That's how John starts his gospel. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to emphasize it again for everybody who maybe is new to this discussion, the importance of it. It's so important. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. Now, I, I said it in Greek so you can memorize it because it's important. Um, in Archaean Halagos, the way that that's structured there, um, it's structured in a way to show that there is no stopping point. Right? It's indefinite. It goes back and back and back and back forever ago. The Word was already there. He already existed. And then it says, very important, and the Word was prostantheon. The, the, the wording he uses, Paul could, sorry, John could have chosen to use other words in the Greek, but he chose prostantheon, mm -hmm. which is relational. 
it's relational. It is toward the Father. It is face-to-face, in face-to-face communion relationship with. And then he says, and God, in Greek, you can structure the sentence um, in such a way where you, what you want to be the emphasis can, can go to the front, even though, it, you know what I'm saying? Like you can take a sentence and you can jumble it up in the Greek to put the word you want to scream at the front, the emphasis. Mm. So it can be a jumbled sentence, but the way that John structures it is he puts theos. Kai theos ein ha logos. So it's like he's screaming, and God was the word. So the word was by his nature God. Mm. He he was by nature God. So consider it. Marcus Rogers doesn't quite understand it, how important this is. In the beginning, the word was already there. He was in relationship with the Father from all eternity. And as to his nature, he is God. And then what does it say? It says, John 1, 14, and God became flesh. He tabernacled among us. God became flesh. And of course, if you move down into John 1, 18, um, nobody has seen God at any time, but the monogamous theos, the one-of-a-kind God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Jesus, who is the monogamous theos, has made the Father known. Um, so there you go, John 1. So um, let's do this. What we're going to do is, um, we've got about four minutes left here. Uh, Stephen, I'll let you go ahead and give that argument you thought of. And then what we'll do is we're going to go into our after show, which you guys can all get at apologiastudios.com. We'll go into the after show and we're going to have a, a playthrough Marcus Rogers video. So go ahead, Stephen, talk about that argument you were thinking about. Yeah. So, uh, so last night I was, I mean, I'm, I'm really new to modalism, but I've, I've done a debate in the past on the Trinity and I was thinking, um, <clears throat> what's the theological implication of modalism? So obviously we can look at stuff like, uh, the fact that, um, the father speaks to the son in the Old Testament in Psalm 45, 6, where he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Right. Um, where David says, the Lord said unto my Lord, David is calling uh, mm-hmm. the son, the eternal son, Lord in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which proves that um, Jesus exists as a second person apart from God, the father. Um, in the Old Testament, it's not something new that he kind of split off when he incarnated. They're having communication with one another in the Old Testament. There's that, obviously. Um then there's the issue of Jesus uh, actually attributing the Father um, with personhood. In John chapter 8, where he says, um, the testimony of yep. two people is true. I bear witness, and my Father bears witness of me also, calling the Father a person apart from him who's bearing witness to him. Very, very clear. But I was thinking about this. Jeff, let me know if you've heard this. I was thinking about this last night. So um, here's an issue. So when the Father incarnated, um, he literally became the Son. That's what they believe. So what happened to the throne of God in heaven when the Father literally decided to take on flesh and incarnate and walk around here on earth? Um, What happens here is that all the verses about God being seated on the throne in heaven, they become false because the throne is now unoccupied technically since the Father's here as the Son. So the Father left the throne and took on flesh in the form of the Son for a season, which means the following verses were not true during the time of the incarnation. Um, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne, Psalm 47, 8. But you, O Lord, are on high forever, high forever, Psalm 92, 8. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever, Psalm 102, 12. But the Lord sits enthroned forever, Psalm 9, 7. Now, so by believing that the Father left his throne, you have to believe that the Bible was literally in error during the time of his incarnation. Um, So when it says God sits on his throne, someone reading that verse 
during the time when Jesus was incarnated here, they'd be reading a false statement from the Bible. He's not actually sitting on his throne. According to oneness, God did not sit on his holy throne. When Jesus incarnated, God was now operating in the mode of the sun, meaning that the Bible actually caused people to believe a lie about the location of God for 33 years. The Psalms would be telling them God is on his throne and enthroned when really he wasn't. Um, so this, this view causes us to believe that the Bible misled people about the location of the Father for over three decades, mm. which would literally make God the author of confusion and a liar when the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Um, now check this out. Since the Word of God was a source of confusion and falsehood during the time of the Incarnation, this implies that God's Word was imperfect and corrupted, which we know, we cannot, which we know cannot happen. The Scripture cannot be broken. John 10.35 Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. First Peter 1, 23, uh, Peter says that the word is living and abiding or enduring. It's an enduring word. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 8, you know this one, obviously. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So to believe the Father left his throne, I'm going to summarize it here. To believe the Father left his throne is to make the verses about God's location false during the time of the incarnation, which means that scripture, the scriptures themselves had broken and perished away when Jesus walked this earth, this would render his word as being untruth when Jesus himself called it truth in John 17 during his incarnation. So in order for Jesus to still believe the Bible was the truth when he was living on earth, that means that the Father must have still been seated on his throne. Okay, so with that, guys, we're going to go into a discussion about that. When we come back in the after show, you can get it at ApologiaStudios.com. We'll continue it there with no time limit, guys, with Stephen Bancar's Reason for Jesus be right back. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face all right everybody welcome back to apologia tv's after show we're here with joy the girl luke the bear on with stephen bancar's reasons for jesus Talking about Marcus Rogers, um, well-known uh, modalist heretic who denies the Trinity, who 
runs about the internet uh, denying the Trinity and um, actually very grateful for this opportunity to have Stephen actually engaging with him. So uh, getting back to what we ended with there. So my, my question as I, as I think about their response to that, I think they would say to that, and, and maybe this can help you sort of formulate how you're, how you're reasoning through this. They would say, well, well no, the, the throne room uh, theme in scripture is not like God who is spirit is literally sitting on it. There's a throne in heaven that needs to be dusted like every five days sort of a thing. Um, you know, it's located there, but it's more of an idea of God's rule, his reign, his heavenly authority. So he is all, uh, always present everywhere in the universe. There's no nook and cranny in the universe he doesn't exist at. And so, uh, you know, the idea of his throne, well, like, you know, he doesn't like physically leave the throne and then leave it unoccupied because he's, he's all, he's ever present anyways. So God doesn't have a dwelling place then. That's their position. God doesn't have a dwelling place. Well, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm playing and, the devil's advocate. Maybe they would suggest to you. Now, I think there's a way around this, but I'm saying I think that this is probably what he would say. And I can, I can hear Rogers saying it in my head right now, very passionately, okay. very passionately, saying uh, God's present everywhere at all times. That's right, but he has a dwelling place in heaven. I don't know how he can deny that the Father doesn't have a primary dwelling place in heaven yeah. um, when Scripture, Old Testament, and New is very clear on that. So would this statement then be vacuous in Revelation 5, 13? And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne right. and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Here you have the one who sits on the throne, you have the Father, um, and then you have the Lamb receiving worship alongside the Father. So I guess I guess we can just throw out that there's probably four or five dozen verses that identify God's primary dwelling place as being in on His throne, yeah, in heaven. And yeah, so, and I think there's a way to there's a way to I think there's a way to bolster this, Stephen, in terms of the throne itself being that that place of authority in heaven. But in the case of the modalist who says that God this one Unitarian kind of God takes on these shape-shifting moments where he becomes the Son. Well, it is, it is clear in Scripture that the Son condescended and humbled himself to obedience as a man, even to death. And so if, if it's just a Unitarian idea of God, then was the throne God's position of heavenly authority unoccupied because he's now condescended to be humbled as a man? So I think you're, I'm, I'm actually saying you're aiming at the right thing. I think it's great. Um, well, yeah. Don't you kind of lose? Um, don't you kind of lose the omnipresence of God when you apply such a natural thing to Him? Mm-hmm. Like, like so, He puts on on masks, mm-hmm. which infers like a physicality. I mean, it's no um, it's no shock that humans have tried to attribute very mm-hmm. human like things to God, right. but. Um, like once you say that in order to operate as these three beings, he needs to actually shift into that. Mm-hmm. Don't you kind of lose the idea that he is also everywhere at once? Cause that's not yeah. like those two things are sort of point. warring. One of them is very supernatural and one of them is very natural. Right. Yeah. And I think the hard part here is that they've taken something that's a mystery in scripture anyways. When I right. say mystery, watch here. When I say mystery, I don't mean unknowable. I right. mean mystery as in it blows your mind. Right. And then they've distorted it by give, by 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 in, infusing false doctrine into it. So now you've got false doctrine carrying a very strange mystery, right. and it's just altogether all confusing. Stephen, my point there is actually I think you're making a very good point there. Um, I, I think that Rogers would probably respond something because he's got to try to he's, he needs some sort of a rescue. Um, 
And so I think he'll try to try to rescue it in terms of uh, God is always present everywhere. Well, yeah, anyways. then he'll just use the Bible. But I think that I think the I think that what you're <laughs> aiming at, will. Stephen, is a good point because I think if you demonstrate that Jesus condescended and humbled himself as a man, he had a humility about his ministry. There was there was a humbling of the Son of Man, um, and uh, that just can't be ignored. And um, and you know Jesus, it says the Father says, "What's it, the Son? Sit at my right mm-hmm. hand." So this is the seating of Messiah after the ascension to the place of authority, supreme authority, right? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Mm. So Jesus ascends and is seated on his throne with the Father in that place of heavenly authority. Why Why would that need to take place? Because there was a humbling of the Messiah. So he'll just write anything off to omnipresence then. I think he, I think he might he'll just say God can be anywhere he wants at all times. He's on his throne. He, he's not on his throne. I think he, I think he would, but I think you're you're aiming at the in the right direction. And I say just be ready for that objection because I can't imagine. Yeah. Hey, here's what I'm saying because you you try. I I think that I've seen from you, and I, I'm so excited about you and what God is doing in you. You try to be very thoughtful mm-hmm. and rigorous and biblical in the way that you think. You want you want your theology. Uh, to be consistent with your philosophy. You want to be grounded in the right. Word of God. And, and I, I know that about you, but Marcus Rogers is not that way. Marcus Rogers appeals to mystery. Marcus Rogers appeals to his own, his own testimony and experience, right. private experience. And so I, I'm saying when you present this rigorous argument to him from Scripture, I think he's just going to try to appeal to mystery and just throw That's out. Right. He's going to appeal to mystery. I'm not going to let him get away with that. I was thinking right. about that today. I know I've seen him digress once. Um, regarding the the baptism of Jesus, where the Father um, speaks from from heaven, and then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and it's like if the Father is incarnate and the Father is actually the deity of Christ, and the Son is the is His humanity, how is the Father also um, speaking externally from from heaven? Right, and right. He would say that um, well, God's uh, omnipresent; He can do whatever He wants. He's <laughs> yes, all powerful. Right, really and that's get that difficult. Wow. And that's, I'm going to say, explain to me exactly what it means for God to be omnipresent. And why your why that explanation is better than the orthodox biblical explanation that there's three persons right. and the father's just having communication with his son like he's had from eternity past from the Old Testament. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna let him write it off to mystery. Mister, you're gonna define to me what it means for God to be omnipresent and for it to be a mystery and how this one person can speak from heaven even though he's fully incarnated in the flesh. Yeah, is it possible? I mean, is it is it at all? possible that maybe the father speaking to the son well or why would he <laughs> why would there be this um why would he delineate at the right hand of me right when he's already technically right. like oh well he's already there mm-hmm. oh but like in a different we're just gonna i'm just imagining two chairs next to each other right. and then like God's like getting up and like sitting in each one like right, really right, quickly. Right, and he's right. like, no, no, I've been here the whole time. <laughs> and that's what I mean by the whole, like yeah. once, once you um, attribute something so physical to God, like changing a mask or shape shifting mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to a completely different, you know, mm-hmm. being, he's like a different character in that moment. Mm-hmm. You can't also have that very supernatural omnipresence because he totally, uh, d- he makes distinctions between, God the Father is very distinct in the Bible from right. the Son. Yeah. So you can't have it both right. ways whenever you now, like. What I want to do in the in the debate is so 
I, I want to make that the la very last argument. I, I don't even I wouldn't even call it an argument. I would call it a, a theological implication, which happens to be an argument. But right. um, I first want to address all of the positive arguments against modalism, and then address um, all of the alleged verses he has for oneness, which I've been beginning to look at some of them, and it's, it's a joke, just especially when you look at the Greek. Um, doesn't work, John 10.30, I'm sure you know about that one, Jeff, mm -hmm. um, in the Greek. But um, So what I want to do is address everything first and then say, and then look at the baptism of Jesus um, and the three people, the three persons interacting with one another. And then he's going to say, well, the Father can split off or whatever. And I'm going to say, you have no positive reason um, at all from Scripture. I've just shown you have no positive argument for modalism. All of your arguments have failed. All of my part positive arguments you have not defended. The only reason you're offering this explanation is to rescue a pre-existing notion of God, and that is a, a patently uh, false, um, ad hoc, logical fallacy. Mm -hmm. It's a contrived explanation inserted for no other reason than to rescue um, a failed hypothesis. Right. And um, That's right. I just don't want him getting away with this anymore. I'm sick of the, the sarcastic stabs he's taken in, in videos in the past and writing it off to some kind of personal revelation that the body of Christ has been missing out on, I guess, for 2,000 years that oneness Pentecostals have special access to. Well, um, yeah, I know. I, I can see. I understand your frustration, Stephen, because, you know, the, the title or the description underneath the video, um, he says, I challenge Trinitarians, Pentecostals, Baptists, and whoever else to watch, and then it cuts off. Um, he says, um, to, to anybody else to prove what I'm saying is wrong, with actual Bible, not you trying to twist the scripture and make it mean what you want. Nope. Only I get to he do that. He says nobody <laughs> can do it. Um, so in, in, there is this, this arrogance and sort of pompous mm. attitude to what he says, where he says even in the video, like, you know, I'm not trying to debate or make myself look good kind of a thing. But then he turns and starts, he said, I'm not trying to be prideful, but then he turns and starts being like really prideful. Like, you know, you well, can't do it. Well, he challenged, if he says he's not looking to debate, then he shouldn't issue a challenge. He shouldn't issue a challenge. So, you know, uh, last thing, let's maybe play some of this, <laughs> actually get to some of the video. Um, have you, Stephen, have you seen, listened to the shows we did on him? No, I haven't listened you, to the shows you did you on him. I, I watched a little bit of James White's response to him and some other responses to him on YouTube. I haven't seen your Wait, show yeah. on him. Had, didn't Eddie Dalcor yes, come on with us? Eddie yeah. Dalcor was on, and he broke down some of, like, the Old Testament, some Hebrew and stuff, and there's no coming back from yeah, and the stuff he, he was showing if, us. If, do you know who Eddie Dalcor is? Steven? No. Oh, dude. He's the, there's, he's the best in the world, and I'm not kidding when I say that, in terms of dealing with one as Pentecostal. So you need to get familiar. Really? Yes. Uh, that's his area of specialty. We had him on the show uh, dealing with Rogers. Just Google that joint. If you, and, go to, uh, if you go to apologiestudios.com and search for oneness, it should come up. There's yeah. a couple of them, and I think it's another one we did too. Yeah, and, and, and I would definitely want you, want you to talk with Eddie before next week so Eddie can spend some time with you. He'd love to, by the way. Um, like I'm speaking for him, he'd love yeah. to. He would. Um, <laughs> Eddie would be honest. He would. He would love to. Uh, and he'll fill you in. And it's actually just you. You just wear a different mask. That's yeah. right. And you pretend to actually, be Eddie. Actually, I'm Eddie Dalcor. <laughs> I know that's not true. I'm the muscle bound you Eddie, Eddie Dalcor. Have you seen them both in the same room? No, you have not. No, you <laughs> have not. But I've seen his guns, and they're not the same. No, ones they're not. So he me, also, real quick, sir. I know he also has a chart he uses. If you haven't seen that, uh, Stephen, it, it's. I think it's. It's his Trinity, Trinity chart or something. He, that, that's his thing he goes to. So if you look for that, you'll have a really good understanding, I think, of where he's coming from before you yeah. do it. Who, Eddie? 
No, no, no. I'm sorry. Of Marcus uh, Rogers. Marcus Rogers, yeah. Marcus? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's weird. I, so I've researched, just as a disclaimer, I've researched oneness and modalism for maybe 10 minutes. Um, and I'm going to be spending, you know, dozens of hours, hopefully, over the next week preparing for this. Well, I, I don't have a solid background understanding of it. But even with the very small background understanding I do, I feel like I'd be, I'd be ready to take him on now. And it's like, how can someone such as himself who's going to be as equally prepared as I am after studying it for 10, 15 minutes, um, can carry himself with such an arrogance and such a high level of criticism towards Trinitarianism when he can't even um, argue against it thoroughly or defend his own position properly. I don't think there's, it's not good Christian conduct. It's not honorable. Right. And, um, you know, so actually, let's, before when we get, close the show out today, Stephen, we'll, we'll get you that book sent out. Uh, Eddie wrote a book on, on oneness, Pentecostalism, and, and, and reasoning with them. It, there's nothing like it. It's, it's the best there is. There's hands down, no question. Eddie Dalcor is your man. I'll make sure you get a copy of that book. So give me your address and everything. We'll make sure you get a copy of it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, awesome. and uh, try to get to you in time so you have a chance to read through it a bit. So I don't even know if we're going to get to play much of this video. I, maybe it's not even important with all we've talked about, but I will play some of it. But I just want to point this out because the the whole issue here in terms of persons, like distinct persons, eternal persons, existent alongside one another, sharing the same substance, That's for, we're not saying that's just a New Testament novelty as though it didn't exist in the Old Testament. The New Testament gives us revelation that fully explains and brings more light mm -hmm. on passages in the Old where there's a there's obviously more than one. It's not Unitarianism. It's, it's, it's more than one person. So you can start in Genesis. The typical thing people want to show is, and I think it's important to do so, is Genesis begins, beginning of the Bible, and God says, let us create man in our image and after our likeness. So you've got this plurality there, and yet this, this unity. So one God, three persons. You see it from the beginning. But then this is, this is where it gets interesting. In the book of Genesis... In just the book of Genesis, it I gotta admit this, you gotta give the Jews some sort of a graciousness and pass to just how they must have been just flabbergasted and confused in moments where they're like, there's only one God. Shema Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad, there's only one God. Hero Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one, none before, none after, only one God, eternal God, uncreated. They they know that. And then you got in the first book they've got in the Pentateuch, you've got the angel of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh coming down to Abraham in Genesis 22 and appearing there on Mount Moriah and saying to Abraham, you have not withheld your only son from me. That's the angel of Yahweh. That's the angel of the Lord saying to Abraham, you haven't withheld your only son from me. The angel? the angel and then you've got of course the instance of, of jacob wrestling with with the lord you've got uh joshua you know you got bowing before the lord they're worshiping the angel of yahweh in the old testament then you've got god talking to god in the old testament which is got to throw the jews off god talking to god right um but then here's here's a powerful one another one from genesis yep. this is the famous one where you've got the angel uh destroying sodom and gomorrah and it's just moments like this. It's at the beginning of the Bible. It's not a New Testament novelty. Genesis 19, uh, verse, uh, lose it here. Okay, verse, um, yeah, verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then Yahweh 
rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. So Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. Just these moments where you, 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 you clearly have, and this is the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. More can be demonstrated. Even in creation. Yeah, exactly. Let us, let us create man in our image, yeah. So you, you, you don't say as a Christian New Testament that we didn't have this in the Old Testament, and yeah, it's a New Testament novelty, and you just got you just gotta, you gotta eat it. Jesus came, and he told us the way that it is, and so what if you were confused before? This is how it is. You have a consistent revelation from Genesis to the book of Revelation where you've got God disclosing himself, and there's moments where in the Old Testament, God just says it. He doesn't even explain it. Like, the Jew who read Genesis, I think, would have to be a little bit confused when they read Genesis. They know there's only one God, and they're going, what, what in the world is the angel of Yahweh doing saying that you, did, you didn't withhold your son from me? The angel? The messenger of the Lord? So you've got this, the, these moments of the pre-incarnate Christ appearing in the Old Testament, being worshipped, interacting with his people. All that stuff's taking place, and there's just no explanation. God's not going, hey, pause, everybody. Everyone knows there's only one God, right? Everyone's like, yeah, there's only one God, Shema. Um, however, there are, you know, God's not explaining. It's just happening, right? God's talking to God in the Old Testament. All that stuff's taking place. It just happens, and then along comes Jesus now in the incarnation when he explains the Father. Now, when someone like Marcus Rogers comes along and he wants to overthrow what the Bible says about God from beginning to end and what the historic Christian church has said in orthodoxy, like, yeah, that matters. It matters a great deal. And so, okay, so unless somebody else has anything else to say, I want to play at least some of Marcus. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, you good, Stephen? Oh, yeah. Okay. Kinds of different denominational churches, um, non-denominational churches, and God really began to deal with me uh, about something after I did that video. And uh, it was one of the verses that he showed me. It's in Luke um, chapter 9, verse 50. And pretty much the apostles are complaining. They're saying, hey, these guys over there, they're casting out devils in your name, but they're not with us. And Jesus said, look, don't stop them because if they're not against us, they're for us. So this video is an attempt to just kind of really bring some unity because God really humbled me and I had to actually go apologize to uh, a one pastor who had brought me down to Texas because, you know, we get so closed off in our circles that, you know, we think, well, this is just the way it is. And we don't know any better because we don't step out, we don't branch out and we, we don't communicate. So I went down to the church and I didn't know that, you know, these guys are baptizing in Jesus name. I didn't know that they believed in speaking in tongues, which I do. And um, it really just kind of opened my eyes to some things. And I was like, all right. So uh, I have a lot of people who attack me. Um, and, you know, the Bible says in Titus 3, 9 to avoid uh, foolish controversies in ge genealogy. Second Timothy 2 and 23 tells us to avoid foolish arguments and debating. And what God gave me personally is say, uh, a tree is known by the fruit it bears. Let the fruit in your life speak for itself. So there you go. That's that's a good place to hook hook oh. up to his his discussion. Uh, and Stephen, I want to hear what you have to say. I'll say one thing to this: the danger of reading the Bible via proof text, right? Like avoid foolish controversies, these discussions, genealogies. That's not the apostle saying that you are not to engage in rigorous Christian discussion right. and debate. Right. Okay. Proof of that, Mister Rogers. Sounds good. Proof of that, Mr. Rogers, is this. Acts chapter 9. What is the Apostle Paul doing? 
in Acts chapter 9, when he gets saved, where does he go? He goes to beeline to Damascus mm-hmm. to do what? To argue with the Hellenistic Jews. Mm-hmm. To argue with them. To the degree that it ends that they want him dead. Okay? So, in, if you want to take the Apostle Paul and turn, and, and turn him into someone who does not believe that Christians ought to argue for the truth of the Bible, then you're going to have a heck of a time dealing with Paul throughout the book of Acts in his entire ministry where he's doing exactly what you mm-hmm. say he says we shouldn't be doing. All right, so go ahead, uh, Stephen. Well, yeah, it says in Romans 16, 17, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. And we just heard him say, uh, you know, people are in their own circles. And <clears throat> how's this for a circle? I pray not for the world, but for those whom you've given me. How's that for a circle? Yep. It excludes the entire world except for the saved. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I'm praying for them. Um, and we need to make sure that we're rigorous in our studies so that we can identify who is it that's actually within the body. Right. Because if I'm, if I'm being unified with someone who is a heretic, who's bringing a different Jesus, a different mm-hmm. gospel, a different God, um, I'm, in, I'm now uh, standing opposed to Scripture. I'm now being disobedient to God who's telling me to have nothing to do with such people for the preservation of his word so we can actually do effective ministry. Um, And I was laughing when you're reading about Yahweh um, raining down fire in heaven from Yahweh because that's not Yahweh raining down fire and sulfur from his own omnipresence. That's two people, interact, two persons interacting with one another, um, just like we see from beginning to end in the Bible, father and son interacting, uh, the pre-incarnate son interacting with the father in the Old Testament, having communications with one another in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, um, Jesus is not a shapeshifter. It's just, it's a different Jesus. He's an eternal son who shared um, relationship and communion with the Father from eternity past. And that's the God of the Bible and the God Marcus is teaching, the Jesus um, that he is putting forth is a false Christ warned of in 2 Corinthians 11, which makes him a false apostle. Well, Titus, and it's powerful testimony in scripture to the fact that Marcus Rogers just simply does not represent a, a full-orbed Christian worldview, not just from the God that he teaches people about, but also in terms of Christian practice. He says, you know, we're not to, we don't want to debate or argue while he debates and argues, but he just does it, <laughs> he just does it without a person who can fight back. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference. He's not doing it actually where he can be cross-examined, which now he will be, yeah. but generally it's else. behind a camera. But, you know, here's, here's uh, Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 9. It talks about um, the elders. He must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it was taught so that by sound teaching, he will be able to um, uh, encourage others and refute those who contradict. Refute those who contradict. For many are rebellious and full of empty talk and deception. Yeah. I mean, that's taking place in the first century, it's taking place in the second, it's taking place today, and that is fundamental to Christian practice, uh, that you have to refute those who contradict what? Sound doctrine, the right. Word of God. So um, I, think we're, I think we're good today. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but even just going off this video, like, is he, would, he inc- would he include you know, Mormons or even Roman Catholics into this now? Because they all baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right. Right, so are they are they in that same crew? Well, of people and many are... of them claim special revelation. Exactly, right. exactly. So I wonder if he's going like some kind of universalist route now, or I don't know. But 
I don't, Everyone I, except for the Trinitarians exactly. is good. I, I don't think you can really <laughs> peg down Marcus Rogers. Right. I don't, I don't, right. I, and I mean this uh, with as much graciousness as I possibly can towards the man. I don't know him personally, but I can say from, from listening to him, I don't feel like Marcus Rogers has really thought through his position well enough to understand right. what he himself is actually trying to say because I, I listen to him at times. I try to listen to him and try to listen to him with, with, with uh, graciousness and respect uh, to hear what he's saying, and he kind of goes all over the place to the point yeah. where I feel like I feel, by the time I'm done listening to him, I feel thoroughly confused. I listened to him on the way in today talking about uh, he was making excuses for adultery um, <clears throat> and just ultimately uh, just mangling a text of Scripture, talking about wedding uh, certificates and, uh, and uh, whoever you've had sex with, that person is the person you're married to. There's no need for a covenant or ceremony. Uh, just weird stuff, and I think it seemed like it was for more personal gain for himself in the first place. But at any rate, um, uh, uh, Stephen, tell everyone where they can go to get your stuff, brother. Yeah, reasonsforjesus.com or my YouTube channel, which is uh, which is just under my name. And I'll be having a debate with him. Um, God willing, he sticks to his word next Thursday. Okay. And uh, it should be good. It's going to be a live stream, so it's going to be live um, on my YouTube channel. Awesome. And uh, that'll be fun. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're doing it, man. That'll be fun, all right. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. I, I'm tempted to bring up, like, I want to stick to the topic, but he also teaches, like, a false gospel. No, I know. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah. Ba baptism is a prerequisite yep. um, for justification, and then uh, speaking in tongues as initial evidence of salvation, and it's, like, his core doctrines, if he were to, if he were to write you a list of his top ten theological distinctives, they would all be heresy. Um, and that's extremely troubling when he's, he has over half a million followers on Facebook. Everyone's applauding him, right. not knowing that the stuff that he's teaching, it's already been settled in the early church for 1,800 years. Mm. Um, so I hope to, to use this opportunity on Thursday to um, speak to those who are following him and hopefully maybe convict him a bit or humble him a bit and um, that God will just use it for, for his truth and for his glory. Well, rest in, rest in comfort knowing uh, you're doing God's work, yep. brother, and the Spirit of God lives within you. And uh, just, uh, I just pray for God to give you his perfect peace while you just speak with uh, humility and a boldness. Thank so you. That's what I'm praying for for you. All right, awesome. good to go, guys. Mm -hmm. Thank good. you, guys. Uh, I know we only played through a little bit of the video, but we basically touched on all the important stuff in terms yeah. of what he says a lot. So uh, be on the lookout for Stephen's debate, his discussion. Pray for him and uh, pray that a lot of people hear this, this discussion. If, you know, if you're listening to this on the radio right now, uh, I really want to just ask you to, to share this particular video because someone like Marcus Rogers may not seem like a danger to you as a believer in your little circle that you may be a part of, but I can tell you right now that a lot of people actually see Marcus Rogers, listen to him, share his content, and so he is impacting a lot of people mm -hmm. who just are not sound in their theology, and he's messing them up. Yeah. And so you have to mark those who cause divisions, you want to refute those who contradict and, uh, and definitely follow an apostolic um, practice of, of, uh, of, con of confronting and condemning false teaching like this. Mm -hmm. So, Stephen, thanks for being on the show with, show with us today, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate God it. God bless you. And God bless you guys. All you guys who watch this show, who listen to this show, share the content. Thank you guys very much. Uh, just a quick uh, thing to point you guys to. In the next couple of weeks, we are going to give you just a ton of content uh, to encourage you, uh, for those of you guys that have participated with us in prayer financially for End Abortion Now, uh, 274 churches across the country, hundreds of babies have awesome. been saved. So much has happened in the last year, and we thought that there's no better way to end this year but to show you guys what happened. 
and then to tell you about our plans for next year. And so we just want to bless you guys with that. So be on the lookout for that. Apologia Studios on YouTube and on Facebook. That's Joy the Girl. See ya. That's Luke the Bear. Peace out. I'm Jeff, the Coleman and Ninja. This is Apologia TV and Apologia Radio, actually. ApologiaStudios.com. Hey guys, don't fast forward through this commercial. Important message for you guys. We're meeting at a new location for Apologia Church worship services. I'm Jeff Durbin, pastor at Apologia Church. Join us for worship 4 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, we are a family integrated church. Sorry, do I introduce myself? They yeah, don't you know can who say I joy. Am. Yeah, you can say joy. I don't. You can this cut this so just talk about. Yeah. But what do I do at the church? They're going to be like, that's one of those churches that has a lady pastor. I want to keep this as a, as a part of the commercial. Yeah. I want you to leave this. Okay. All right. Uh, this is Luke the Bear, discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. And the new location we're meeting at, like Jeff said, it's the Tempe Vineyard Church. I think you said it was the Tempe Vineyard Church. No, I didn't. You didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> you just did. The address okay. is 1805 East Elliott Road, number 112. Tempe, Arizona, 85284. That is on the southeast corner of McClintock and Elliott. Bring your wives, bring your kids, and bring your husbands too, because we're teaching everybody up in here. Bring your beards, if you got them. Or no. It's up to you. I'll have mine. All right, guys. That's our new commercial. I think it's professional. (laughs) We'll see you at Apology at Church. Join us for worship. Apologyatchurch.com.